Well, again, I want to welcome you to Lakes Free this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. I know we have a lot of visitors, family who came just to see their kids, and uh, we're grateful that you joined us this morning. Uh, we are continuing today our December sermon series, which is titled Advent Apologetics. And uh, if you're not familiar with that term apologetics, the, the word apologetics comes from a Greek word, apologia, which means to give a defense. It's a legal term, like a lawyer pleading a case, arguing a case in a court, uh, making a defense of, of their claims. And so as Christians, one of the things that we practice as Christians is the discipline known as apologetics, which is giving reasons for why we believe what we believe. Can we, can we be confident in the claims of Christianity? And so this December, we've been doing a sermon series titled Advent Apologetics, looking at some of the issues related to Christmas, and can we really trust the Christmas stories? Last week, if you were here, we covered the topic of, is Christmas credible? And we looked at some of the reasons we have to believe the historical stories found in the New Testament. Uh, they really are historical accounts, and we have great reasons to believe that these weren't simply legends and myths that were made up over the centuries. And so if you, didn't have a, if you weren't with us last week, I'd encourage you, we have that message online, go back and check that out. It would be a great encouragement to you this Christmas season as we think about Jesus' birth and the, the historical reality of that. Now today, we're going to be turning the page in our Advent Apologetic series, looking at a, a little bit different subject. We're going to be talking about the question of the, the supposed pagan origins of Christmas. That's one of the popular claims we hear in our culture today, is that, that a lot of the contemporary Christmas uh, celebrations and things that we recognize during the Christmas season really come from pagan religious backgrounds, that, that the church stole these things from, from pagan religions. And we're going to try to counter that claim today. I want to argue that I think we have good reasons to practice Christmas and that Christmas isn't a pagan holiday, but really is a holiday that from the very beginning was about celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning. Let's just ask God's blessing as we turn to consider these topics. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll ask uh, that the Lord helps me as I preach this morning. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for Christmas week that we are uh, just beginning. And uh, the opportunity to remember your birth. The fact that you came into this world so that we could know you and have a relationship with you. And ultimately be forgiven of our sins and experience new life with you. We thank you, Lord, for that, uh, that great gift you've given us that first Christmas. Thank you for those uh, great songs and videos that the kids shared with us this morning. And, Lord, as we uh, celebrate Christmas with them, I pray that uh, today would just be the beginning of a week-long celebration, thanking you for coming into this world and showing us who you are and how we can know you. Lord, we pray your blessings on our time together now as we consider this topic of the supposed pagan origins of Christmas. Help me to communicate clearly, Lord, and I pray that this message is an encouragement to everyone here this morning and to all of our friends watching with us online today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite uh, shows every year at Christmas time is, is Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It's, uh, it's a classic tale of Christmas spirit. And uh, really interesting, I just realized this week, yesterday was the 55th anniversary of the very first showing of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the, the cartoon version of Dr. Seuss's classic book. 55 years that that's been running on television. And uh, 
I don't know about you, but I always look forward to, to the story of the Grinch. If you recall the story, the Grinch, you know, is this is this uh, curmudgeon character that lives up on a mountain high above Whoville. And uh, he's so, you know, he's so uh, selfish and bitter and angry that he wants to destroy Christmas for all the Who's of Whoville. And so on the night of Christmas Eve, the Grinch comes down and, and he steals all of the Christmas celebrations. He steals the presents. He steals all the decorations and the Christmas trees and, and their feast and food. And, and uh, he loads it all up into his sleigh, takes it all the way back up to the top of the mountain, thinking that he has ruined Christmas. He's stolen it. But of course, if you remember the story, the next morning the Who's wake up and they discover that, that all their Christmas trappings had been stolen, yet they teach the Grinch the true spirit of Christmas. As they come out of their homes and they gather together and they sing Christmas carols and, and share in the joy of what Christmas is really all about. And, and if you remember, it warms the Grinch's heart. And he returns all of the Christmas gifts to, to the Who's. And it's a great story. But... You know, when you think about that idea of the Grinch stealing Christmas, there are, there are literally people in our world who would say that, that the Christian church is the original Grinch. That when it comes to, to stealing Christmas, the, the number one candidate you look, need to look at is, is the church and Christians. It's the Christians who stole Christmas. And the argument goes like this. Critics of Christianity will often say that there's really nothing special about Christmas. There's nothing unique about our Christmas celebrations. In fact, what happened is the Christian church really simply stole all of these pagan traditions, trying to Christianize them in their efforts to suppress paganism and convert people to Christianity in the church. And this is a popular claim at Christmas time. You'll see this in memes on social media. You'll see it in various uh, skeptics and atheist blog posts. You'll, you'll even hear it in, in the popular culture and popular media. For example, I, I saw an article from NBC News recently. Pagan Roots. Five surprising facts about Christmas. When you gather around the Christmas tree <clears throat> or stuff goodies into a stocking, you're taking part in traditions that stretch back thousands of years long before Christianity entered the mix. And so again, even the mainstream media popularizes this claim that Christianity simply stole all of these pagan traditions and, and, and tried to Christianize them in their efforts to convert people to, to following Jesus Christ. Now, now, one of the questions that I naturally ask when I see articles like this is, is the question, what motivates people to, to try and tie our contemporary Christmas celebrations to paganism? You know, what's the motivation behind that? To, to claim that everything that we celebrate here around the Christmas season is ultimately pagan. And friends, I would argue that the ultimate motivation is nothing less than an anti-Christian bias that would seek to suppress any influence about the true meaning of Christmas in our world. You see, what is the true meaning of Christmas? The true meaning of Christmas is, is like we see in the, in the Gospel of Matthew when the Magi came and they found the Christ child. Matthew records in his Gospel that after listening to the king, the, the wise men, the Magi, went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Friends, Matthew here describes for us the true meaning of Christmas. The, the true meaning of Christmas is seen in the response of the wise men who came from the east looking for the promised Messiah. And when they found the Christ child, they were overwhelmed with joy and they fell down on their knees and they worshipped him. See, that's what Christmas is ultimately all about. It's about discovering Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and then humbling ourselves before Him and worshiping Him for who He is and what He's done for us. And you know, there are many people in our world today, secularists and atheists and critics of the Christian church, who would seek to suppress that goal, the goal of pointing people to Jesus and calling them to humble themselves before Him and worship. That, that's what Christmas is all about, and that's why so many people in our world today try to suppress the message of Christmas, because they don't want to worship Jesus. They, they don't want to humble themselves before anybody. They want to continue to run their lives as if they're the boss. But see, Christmas is all about recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that is the true meaning of Christmas. But sadly, it's not just in our secular culture, but there are even some Christians in our world today who have embraced the idea that Christmas stems from, from pagan roots. Throughout church history and, and even today, you, you can find certain Christians who will argue that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it's an idolatrous compromise with pagan religious traditions. It reminds me of this cartoon I came across recently, Charlie Brown speaking with his friend Linus. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Paganism! Now, obviously, that wasn't in the original cartoon. That was, a, that was an atheist revision of the Charlie Brown story. But sadly, many people have embraced this idea. Even many Christians, that, that Christianity is really all about paganism. But friends, are these supposed claims about the pagan origins of Christmas legitimate? Or are they really just a lot of sensationalized hype intended to discourage and dissuade us from the true origins and meaning of Christmas? See, this morning I want to spend some time unwrapping some of these popular pagan Christmas myths. I want to look at a few of these supposed Christian origin myths that tie into paganism. And, and we don't have time to address them all this morning, but I want to highlight a few of them today just simply to show you that the reality is, is that Christmas truly isn't a pagan holiday. In fact, we don't have to be afraid of celebrating Christmas. We don't have to be ashamed of celebrating Christmas. The overwhelming evidence points to, to Christmas from the very beginning, not having ties to paganism, but being about the celebration of the arrival, the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So, so let's unwrap a few of these popular pagan Christian myths. The, the first myth I want to unwrap this morning is, is this. Number one, the date of Christmas wasn't stolen. 
the date of Christmas wasn't stolen. This is a popular claim that you'll find in our world from skeptics and critics of the church and Christianity that, that Christians stole the date of December 25th from pagans. Now, interestingly, December 25th throughout history has been a very significant date. In fact, when you look through history at some of the events that took place on December 25th, events that that brought good tidings of great joy to the world, just listen to a few of these examples. On December 25th, 1776, George Washington led 2,400 American troops across the frozen Delaware River to capture Trenton, New Jersey from the British. It was a miraculous event that really began to turn the tide of the Revolutionary War. And really, truly a miracle, only four Americans lost their lives in in the capture of Trenton, New Jersey. On December 25th of 1868, President Andrew Johnson granted amnesty to all the Southerners who fought in the Civil War. It was a move that really began to bring the nation healing and and bring us back into a spirit of unity as the United States. On December 25th, 1914, in World War I, Christmas Day, German troops ceased firing. And all of a sudden, from out of the trenches, the Allied troops began to hear Christmas carols being sung. The Allied troops responded in kind, singing Christmas carols, and the testimonies say that both the Germans and the Allied troops met in the middle of that battlefield and exchanged Christmas greetings. It was a powerful moment of World War I. On December 25, 1991, Mikhail Gorbachev resigned as the final leader of the Soviet Union. He removed the infamous hammer and sickle flag and replaced it with the traditional flag of Russia. And it's interesting, you go throughout history and there's all these great events that took place on December 25th bringing good tidings of great joy to the world. And of course, as Christians, we know that December 25th is especially the day in which we celebrate the arrival of our Messiah. Jesus Christ, the the one who brings good tidings of great joy as we have the chance to personally know our Creator God. Yet again, there are those in our world who would argue that Christians stole December 25th from from pagan religions. Now, now where do they get this idea? There There are two popular claims that you'll hear in regards to December 25th. But, but, First of all, we need to ask the question, why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Okay, where, where does that date even come from? How, how did it begin to be the date when we celebrated Jesus' birth? Well, it's very interesting, all the way back as early as 200 years before Christ. Okay, so around 200 A.D., we know that Christians were already celebrating December 25th as the birth date of Jesus Christ. We, we know this because there were two ancient documents that were written around this time. One was written by Clement of Alexandria, and, and he mentions December 25th as the date of Christ's birth in his book called the Stramata. And the Stramata was basically a history of early Christian church theology and practices. And he notes that Jesus was born on December 25th. There was another ancient church figure, Hippolytus of Rome. He wrote a commentary on the book of Daniel. And in his commentary on Daniel, he also mentions that December 25th was the date of Christ's birth. 
Now, both of these documents date to about 200 A.D. That's about 170 years after the time of Jesus. Now, these guys wrote these documents mentioning December 25th and 200 A.D. What that means is they, they didn't make that date up. They're simply testifying that Christians were already celebrating December 25th around 200 A.D., which means it probably began much earlier than these first initial records that we have, that that was the original date of Christians celebrating Christmas. Now, where did they get this December 25th date? Well, very early on in church history, the idea was that Jesus was conceived on March 25th. That was the Passover, the date of the Passover. And so they said that Jesus was conceived on Passover, and then nine months later, obviously, would be the birth of Christ on December 25th. That's where the tradition comes from. But again, there are skeptics who would argue that, no, we actually stole December 25th from pagans. The, the first candidate for this claim is a, is a uh, religious feast in the Roman Empire known as Saturnalia. And the claim is that Christians stole December 25th from the Roman Saturnalia practice. Saturnalia was based on the, the worship of the Roman god Saturn, who they said was the father of all gods. And in the Saturnalia festival, the Romans would practice sacrifices to the god Saturn. They would have a time of public feasting, drinking, merriment. They would exchange gifts with one another. And, and so skeptics look at these ancient traditions. They think, wow, that sure sounds a lot like Christmas, right? Maybe we did steal Christmas from this Saturnalia cult. But friends, there are a few problems with this claim. For example, the, the historical origins of the festival of Saturnalia are debated. Even, even scholars, secular historians, don't even agree about the origins of this festival. The most complete description that we have of the Saturnalia holiday dates from the 5th century. That's the 400s A.D. That's, that's a long time after Jesus and, and the reports of Christians celebrating Christmas around 200 A.D., right? The historical dates that we know of for Saturnalia, there are three accounts of when Saturnalia was practiced. One historian, ancient historian record, says it was a one-day event celebrated on December 19th. Another record says it was a three-day event celebrated between December 17th and 19th. A third account says it was a week-long event celebrated from December 17th to 23rd. But friends, notice, none of those dates are December 25th, are they? Saturnalia never had anything to do with December 25th. But the claim is that somehow we as Christians stole the date of December 25th from Saturnalia. But we have no evidence that Saturnalia ever had anything to do with December 25th. This would be like claiming that, you know, let's, let's, let's make a holiday to rival Halloween, right? Halloween, October 31st. And, and we're going to make a Christian holiday to rival Halloween, but we're going to practice that holiday on December 4th instead, right? It doesn't make any sense. If you're trying to create a holiday to rival the pagan tradition, you would do it on the dates of the pagan holiday, right? Because if you didn't, what would happen? People would just end up celebrating both of them, okay? But again, the historical evidence for the claim that Christians stole Christmas from Saturnalia just falls short. There's no evidence that December 25th ever had anything to do with Saturnalia. Now, now a second common uh, candidate for where we stole December 25th from 
comes from another Roman festival, the festival of Sol Invictus. Sol Invictus means the unconquered sun. And the Romans had a, a cult to Sol Invictus, the, the soul god, the sun god. And, and they had a festival called Dies Natalis Invicti, the birthday of the unconquered one. And again, this was a, a Roman festival where they would celebrate and worship the sun god. And this went back thousands of years. It even predates Rome. But again, the skeptic's argument, the critic's argument, is that we stole December 25th, Christmas, from the Sol Invictus cult. What are the problems with this claim? First and foremost, we know historically next to nothing about Sol Invictus. Like literally all we know about it comes from a few carvings that, that depict the god Sol. We, we don't know anything about Sol Invictus. In fact, the earliest references to Sol Invictus that we have historically date from around 220 and 274 A.D. The earliest reference to a festival for the god Sol being practiced on December 25th comes from a calendar created by a Christian, a man named Philocalus. He was the artist and calligrapher who created this calendar. This calendar was created in 354 A.D., Okay, again, friends, that, that's 154 years after the earliest reference to Christians celebrating on December 25th, around 200 A.D. So again, given the late dates, we have to ask the question, right? Did, did we steal December 25th from the pagans? Or did they steal December 25th from us? See, the historical evidence shows that Christians were celebrating December 25th very early on. The earliest accounts of any pagan celebrating anything on December 25th come from 150 years later. So I think what was really taking place is that Christians were celebrating the birth of Christ on December 25th very early on. And what happened was, is as the Christian church was growing, it became a threat to the traditional pagan gods and so they started co-opting our celebrations, turning them into pagan holidays on December 25th, trying to rival Christianity. Not the other way around, as the critics so often claim. Christians were celebrating December 25th very, very early. Now, we need to ask the question, was Jesus really born on December 25th? I, I want to share with you something that I think will literally blow your mind this morning. I think we have really strong reason to believe that Jesus was born on December 25th. How do we know this? Well, in 1958, there was an Israeli scholar. His name was Shemarahu Talman. He was from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And he published an in-depth study on parchment number 321 of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls are ancient historical documents that contain records about uh, uh, about uh, Judaism during the New Testament times. They even contain records of the Old Testament going back to 400 years before Christ. Every copy of the book of the Old Testament is found in the Dead Sea Scroll records other than the book of Esther. I mean, it, it's really an important archaeological discovery, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, this Israeli scholar, Talman, he, he did a study on one particular parchment from the Dead Sea Scrolls where he was able, using some of the records from the Qumran community, it was a Jewish sect where the Dead Sea Scrolls were kept, he discovered in this scroll the priestly rotation schedule 
in the temple of Jerusalem during the time of Jesus. Now, if you read the book of 1 Chronicles, in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, Chronicles tells us the order that the various priestly families were called to serve in the temple. There were a number of families in the priestly class that were commissioned to serve, and they would serve on a rotation. Well, Talman was able to discover the rotation that was taking place during the days of the New Testament. And what he discovered is fascinating. He found that the family of Abijah from which Zechariah descended, and if you remember, Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, right? Zechariah was a descendant of the family of Abijah, and his family, of which, again, Zechariah was a priest serving in the temple, his family served twice a year. They served on the 8th through the 14th of the third month of the Jewish calendar, and they served from the 24th to the 30th, of the eighth month of the Jewish calendar. Now, this second period fell at the end of September. So we have good reason to believe that Zechariah was serving in the temple at the end of September, based on the records found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, Zechariah was serving in the temple at the end of September. Listen to the gospel account that's recorded for us in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 13 says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth, Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, again, remember, very likely the end of September, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now again, if Talmud's scholarship from the Dead Sea Scroll study is accurate, all this took place at the end of September. Now listen to what Luke goes on to tell us in verse 23 of chapter 1. Luke says, when Zechariah's time of service was over, again, at the end of September, he went home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach from among the people. Remember, she was old, advanced in years. She had never had a child. And now, miraculously, she has conceived. And... Luke tells us she hid herself for five months. So Zechariah is serving at the end of September. He goes home. His wife gets pregnant. Five months later, five months go by. October, November, December, January, February. Now, listen to what Luke tells us in verses 26 through 33. In the sixth month, what would be the sixth month? March, right? 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from a city to Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. This annunciation to Mary came in the sixth month, March. Right? Likely the end of March if we continue on the pattern. What happens nine months after March? December. The end of September, the end of March... The end of December. From as early as 200 years A.D., Christians were recognizing December 25th as the birth date of Jesus Christ. Was that an accident, friends? Now, now there are some who would say December 25th isn't likely to be the date of Christmas. Church tradition says, yes, it is the date of Christmas. And I think when you look at what Talman discovered in the Dead Sea Scroll studies, I think it's very likely that Christmas truly did fall on December 25th. It was the date that Christians recognized very early on in church history. So again, the the bottom line is when we look at the historical evidence, December 25th, the date of Christmas, is clearly not a pagan holiday. It doesn't come from pagan origins. And I think we have very good reason to believe that it truly was the birth date of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's all historical scholarship. I I think it's incredible. Now, let's unwrap another one of these pagan Christmas myths. Friends, your Christmas tree is not an idol. Okay? Your Christmas tree is not an idol. We have Christmas trees up on stage. We are not celebrating idols when we put up Christmas trees. Sadly, this is one of the most common critiques of our contemporary Christmas celebrations. Skeptics and critics of Christianity point to the Christmas tree, and and they argue that the Christmas tree comes out of pagan origins and pagan religious practices. But again, is this really the case? Where, Where does this idea come from? Well, we know that pagan and Germanic Scandinavian tribes used to celebrate a midwinter festival known as Yule. And Yule involved the worship of fertility gods and the Nordic god Odin. And it's believed that evergreens were used in the worship and veneration of the Yule gods. People believe that if they brought evergreens into their homes, that this would convey fertility upon their homes. And, and, and so they, the claim is, is that Christians stole the Christmas tree from these pagan Yule celebrations. But what does history really tell us about the Christmas tree? You know, it's interesting when you begin to look into the historical origins of the Christmas tree. I've actually been studying this for about 10 years when I first became interested in this topic. You can look all you want, and it's very interesting. There is literally no ancient or medieval manuscript that mentions Christmas trees anywhere. Okay? In fact, the earliest reference that we have historically to Christmas trees dates from the 15th century in Germany. That's the earliest mention of Christmas trees in the ancient record that we know of today. 
Queen Victoria was the one who actually popularized the use of Christmas trees, bringing them into your home and, and using them as part of your Christmas traditions. And, and then around, around that same time in the 1800s, that tradition came to the colonies in North America. But again, there's really very little historical evidence for the origins of the Christmas tree. So people ask the question, well, where did the Christmas tree come from? I think there's two likely candidates. And interestingly, they both come out of Christian tradition. The, the first candidate comes from a man named Boniface. Boniface was an English Benedictine monk, and he was a missionary to Germany, uh, hugely influential in bringing Christianity to the Germanic peoples. And the legends go, and again, these are just legends. We don't have a, a, a true historical account of these, but the legends say that around 720 A.D., Boniface went to Germany and he discovered that the Germanic peoples there were worshiping these Nordic fertility gods. And one of their practices was during the winter solstice, they, they would gather around a massive oak tree in the Hesse region of Germany. It was called the Thunder Oak. And the Germans believed that the Thunder Oak was an altar to the god Thor. Yes, that very same Thor. And they would sacrifice a male child every year to Thor at the base of the Thunder Oak. Well, Boniface comes along with his band of followers, and he seeks to convert the German people. And so Boniface says to the Germans, he says, from this day forward, you're no longer going to sacrifice. You're no longer going to shed any blood to your fake gods. In fact, there's one true God, and he's not Thor. And to prove it, I'm going to chop down your altar, the Thunder Oak. Well, the German people thought he was crazy because Thor was going to strike him down if he dared touch the Thunder Oak. Boniface and his followers picked up their axes, and they began to chop away at the Thunder Oak. And the Germanic tribes stood around just waiting for him to be struck dead by Thor's thunder and lightning. But pretty soon the tree was felled. And Boniface said, your God is false. And there is one true God. And Boniface looked right behind where the thunder oak was, and there was a little evergreen tree there. And Boniface pointed to the evergreen, and he said, from now on, this is going to be your tree. And he said, notice that tree. It points to the heaven where the one true God resides. And he says, the tree is in the shape of a, of a, of a triangle representing the triune nature of that one true God. And its branches are evergreen, representing the eternal life that comes from the one true child of God who was sacrificed for all people of the world. And Boniface pointed to the evergreen tree as a symbol to share the gospel with the Germanic tribes. That's interesting, isn't it? That's one possible origin. Another possible origin for the Christmas tree, and I actually think this is probably more likely, comes from the Middle Ages and the Paradise Play. Now, what was the Paradise Play? Well, during the Middle Ages in Europe, prior to the development of the printing press and books, dramatic presentations were performed throughout villages in Europe. And, and these dramatic performances were called mystery plays or miracle plays. And these roving troops of, of actors would go around performing these mystery plays to teach biblical stories. Remember, they didn't have printing. They didn't have books. So how did people learn the stories of the Bible? They went and they saw these mystery plays, these miracle plays, which told biblical stories. 
One of the popular mystery plays in the Middle Ages was a play called The Paradise Play. And the Paradise Play was a story about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the fall of humanity into sin. And the Paradise Play featured a single prop. It was an evergreen tree. And this evergreen tree was decorated with apples. The, the tree symbolized our eternal life before the fall. The, the apples symbolized the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, in Germany, as the, the mystery plays became less relevant after the printing press and the, the ability for people to read the Bible themselves, people began to bring these paradise trees into their home during Christmas season. And they used these paradise trees to teach their kids the story of the fall and about Christ's nativity and His grace. Over time, people added round wafers to these paradise trees, representing the... Excuse me, representing the uh, fruit of redemption. They, the, the wafers were symbolic of the host used in the Catholic Mass at the time. Candles were later added, symbolizing the light of Christ. Eventually, stars were placed atop the tree, symbolizing the star of Bethlehem. The tradition of the paradise tree, which became known as the Christmas tree, eventually spread to England and then on to the American colonies. So you see, friends... Whether the Christmas tree began as a rival to Thor or a prop for spreading the gospel, the, the reality is, historically, we don't have any reason to tie the Christmas tree to pagan origins. In fact, the best evidence we have suggests that Christians invented the Christmas tree and had very specific Christ-honoring reasons for doing so, to convey and teach the message of the gospel and the reason for why Jesus Christ came into the world. Friends, you don't need to worry when you set up your Christmas tree or when you gather around it on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. You're not celebrating a pagan idol. In fact, I would argue you can use the Christmas tree to convey and teach your kids some great lessons about the truth of why Jesus came into the world. Let's look at a third myth this morning, and i got to tread lightly on this one. Santa Claus, right? What about Santa Claus? Friends, I want to tell you this morning, yes, you can believe in Santa Claus. Yes, you can. Critics will often say that Santa Claus originated in pagan mythology. Possibly the Nordic god Odin or the English folkloric myth of the, the, the mythical figure known as Father Christmas. But the true story of Santa Claus is actually a really fascinating story about one of the most important and interesting figures in early church history. See, Santa Claus is an anglicized version of the Dutch name Sinterklaas. And the name Sinterklaas literally means St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas was a real historical figure, and he's got a fascinating story. Nicholas was the bishop of Myra in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And Nicholas, he was a 4th century bishop. He, he was alive between 270 and 343 A.D. And one of the things Nicholas was known for was his reputation for secret gift-giving. He, he was known to, to leave coins in people's shoes. He, he, one story tells of Nicholas rescuing three girls from forced prostitution by dropping gold coins in their windows at night so they could ultimately purchase their freedom from slavery. And not only was Nicholas known as a generous gift giver, but he was also one of the bishops present at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., 
One of the important early church councils that defended the deity of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ wasn't simply a created being, but he was truly God. Fully God and fully man. In fact, tradition from the Council of Nicaea tells us that Nicholas was so upset at the heresy being promoted by another church teacher named Arius who was promoting this heresy that Jesus was simply a created being. Tradition says that Nicholas was so upset with Arius that he actually slapped him across the face, lost his temper, and they locked him up and threw him in jail. He was that passionate about defending the truth. Well, recognizing the error of his ways and in humility, Nicholas ultimately apologized to Arius and he was allowed to come back to the council and he was very instrumental in defending the truth of biblical Christianity. So again, friends, whatever your family's traditions are in regards to Santa Claus, at a minimum, we can certainly look to Nicholas of Myra as an example to celebrate. An example of faithfulness to Christ, of love for his truth, of a heart for God's people. These are all parts of the story of Nicholas. So again, you truly can celebrate Santa Claus. I want to share three things as we conclude this morning when it comes to the idea of Christianity and paganism. Number one, we need to remember, especially this time of year, Jesus is the reason for the season. Okay, Christmas is ultimately about Jesus Christ. And there is nothing essential about December 25th, nothing essential about Christmas trees, there's nothing essential about Santa Claus to the celebration of Christmas. At the end of the day, Christmas is all about Jesus and recognizing God's amazing gift, His gift of grace to the world, which came through His Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, that's what Christmas is all about. We, we don't just share gifts for no reason. We share gifts because they're reflective of the greatest gift that God has shared with us. The opportunity for new life, for forgiveness from sin. All of that comes through Jesus Christ. Number two, Christianity is all about redemption. Okay, Even if the claims of pagan origins related to Christmas should come true or prove true, I don't think they will, but even if they were to prove true, Christianity has always been in the business of transforming secular culture. And understand this. Any practice or anything that is not inherently evil can and should be redeemed for the glory of God. Christians have been doing this from the beginning, whether you're talking about art or literature or books or movies or music, right? We take things from the secular culture and we transform them using them for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul did this all the way back in the book of Acts, chapter 16, where he quotes two secular pagan poets to help him share the message of the gospel with the pagan people of Athens. Okay, Christianity has always been in the redemption business. Number three, we need to exercise Christian liberty and love. On matters that God's Word doesn't speak directly to, Christians need to follow the leading of their conscience under God. And when it comes to Christmas, understand this, friends, we have the liberty to either accept or reject our culture's various traditions. But with that liberty, we're also called to exercise grace and charity towards one another. 
recognizing that our brothers and sisters in Christ may see these things differently. Some may not choose to put a Christmas tree in their home. Some may think there's no problem with putting a Christmas tree in their home. But friends, at the end of the day, regardless of our differences of opinion on these matters, we need to exercise love for one another. Love, grace, and a spirit of charity should always be our primary goal. So friends, I I hope some of this was an encouragement to you this morning. We have great reason to celebrate Christmas. And no, it is not a pagan holiday. Be encouraged this week. Have a Merry Christmas. I hope you come out and join us on Christmas Eve and at our family Christmas service. This Christmas Eve, we're going to continue our series on Advent apologetics, looking at the baby who changed the world. It's going to be a great message, a message of encouragement for all of us. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, for the opportunity to celebrate with our kids today. And Jesus, we are so thankful for this Christmas season. Thank you that we can be confident that Christmas doesn't find its origins in pagan religious practices, but has always been about the celebration of the birth of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And I pray, God, that we would celebrate that and rejoice in that like never before this year thanking you for the amazing grace that is ours through the gift of Jesus. We pray all this in your great name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning from Jude, verses 1 and 2. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, this Christmas may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Have a great week and Merry Christmas. Hi everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.